Welcome to The Long Game. My goal with this show and guests is to learn how to build self-sustaining companies and to explore the ideas, principles, and technology to make it all happen. I hope you learn something and enjoy. So, Ronnie, you have one of the unique superpowers, which is design. And we were talking about how design can have an outsized impact on people and human behavior and ultimately businesses. Talk to me about what that means to you. Mm. For me, it just came, it's come with experience. And I'm thinking of some of the pivotal projects that we've done that were those aha moments. Uh, we redesigned Office Depot.com, for example, and within a year increased their sales by over a billion dollars by just doing the UX and the UI redesign. And the result of that was not that, wow, we made this company very wealthy, but look at the power of what we could actually do through looking at human behavior, through studying how people actually shop online, using that to alter the user interface and their behavior then changed. What if we could then take that theory and start to apply that to other projects that are having an influence and an impact that do good in the world to people. For example, we're working on the Hyperloop right now. So a Hyperloop transportation technologies is the world's fastest, most sustainable, safest form of transportation. And that is something that's ultimately going to change how we live, how we come together and take a lot of pollution out of the sky, take a lot of traffic off the road, all kinds of incredible positive uh, impacts from projects like that. So again, that wrong. I think one of the, the, the things that's underappreciated in kind of your statement there is we often look at technology, tech startups, or, you know, traditional businesses, and we say that, oh, wow, they have an outsized impact on the world. But really design is what motivates and creates the desire for humans to do a thing. And so often I think design is lumped in with, it's about making it pretty, making it smooth, making it seem good, but you don't realize that those things of a user experience flow and when a true experience kind of melts away and you're able to kind of intuitively do what you want to do, have a billion dollar outcome. I mean, that, that, is, that is insanity about the amount of impact that you can have. And Ooh. so to take that skill set and take that power, which I know you've basically spent your entire life focused on design, to take that and then to say, well, given I can have this outsized impact, how do I want to have that outsized impact? Where do I want to have it? And then to be more intentional about that application, I think it's a, it's a refreshing perspective to both appreciate the design power and then also try to use it for the advancement of humanity. Right. Um, I think on the, uh, the first point that's interesting is that we often are so surrounded by design, we're not conscious of it. Absolutely everything around us is designed. This is design. These are designed. This is design. Designers touch every aspect of how we interact with the world around us, right? Um, and I think we sometimes need to just stop and think about that and think about the human effort that goes into this building behind me, these hurricane-proof windows, this computer screen that I'm looking at you on, 
um, and they, they level in the amount of yeah, human attention and engagement that goes into that and, and everything. It's all considers, considered. It's de-signed, right? And as long as we know, mankind has been mark-making, you know, from the cave paintings in Lascaux to the first arrowheads that people made, um, right? So it's, it's there. We've been crafting and building and making with our hands and then with machines yeah to bring up historic design you worked on the original hyperlink you helped design hyperlinking which is just a concept where to talk about design being something that's always in the back background where you don't notice it i mean that's one of the most iconic things that you wouldn't actually think needs to design because it just feels so intuitive and it's always been that way so what was that story like how did you get involved in, in helping design the, the hyperlink itself yeah so i had started my master's degree at the rhode island school of design it was 1989 and the computer science department at brown had approached one of the professors at RISD and asked if there were any graphic designers interested in getting involved with what was called gui design back then graphical user interface design there was no such thing as ux or ui terminology and they were developing under Andy Van Dam at the computer science department at Brown the first working hypertext system. So this concept of a seamless information environment, which we take for granted now, but if you think of like a, a book, right, it's incredibly structured, right? It's got a spine, it's got covers, it's got pages that have page numbers, it's got a table of contents. It's a very structured codex that we take for granted. And the idea of taking all of the contents of this book and just throwing that information out there in the world and then allowing the user to form connections within the information that was contained in here pertaining to where they want to go, what their interests are, where they want to follow, what information they want to follow, led to this idea of how can we have a hyperlink within text and copy it. I can actually, uh, I'll share uh, just a couple of uh, screens, if I, if I may. Um, I'll share an entire screen because I got a bunch of things we can look at. Um, but here, here are just a couple of, uh, this is a, a mishmash of uh, various different things. But what you're looking at uh, on the upper left-hand side was some of the first link trees that I did, uh, thinking about the structure of, in this particular um, document, which was 19th century public, a document about 19th century uh, public health, but then how could we start to link all of those things together so I could fast forward and jump around within a document and within a space. So that was intermediate Brown, and, and then at CERN they were developing, you know, this World Wide Web thing that took hyperlinks to another level as well. And you can see on the very bottom right-hand side, you would click on a hyperlink and it would actually bring up multiple choices of where to go. So they went, they were neither one directional nor they were, were they monolinks. They were actually multi-links, a lot more sophisticated actually than our hyperlinks today that we use. So it's- And even, uh, even just kind of thinking about the the concept of linking information and 
just, I, I mean, it's so fundamental. I, I bet people who are, who are younger listeners can't even imagine not expecting to touch something and then it to go to more information. I mean, that, that, that itself requires a tremendous amount of a design and intention and thought to come up with that architecture and that system that says, here is information. We are going to surface more relevant information and you're going to kind of have this choose your own adventure through the information where if you want to find out more about something, you click on it, which again, like even clicking is a concept. It is a designed interface of being able to have a graphical user interface that you right. can interact with. There's just so much that goes behind the thought process of what we take for granted every single day when we, when we work with technology. And, um, the, yeah, this analog world and then moving into this digital world. And then after I'd been working on these hyperlinks, I started working with blind people at, um, uh, WGBH and they, that's where uh, closed captioning and descriptive video had been invented. And so now along comes the World Wide Web and this realization that probably the most isolated group of people in our society, blind people, could be brought together because of this geography agnostic environment and be able to communicate and be able to come together you know, on an equal footing and an equal level with everybody else on the internet. And one of the first, most sort of aha moments with me was working with blind people. And the first thought was like, oh, this will be easy because we don't have to worry about pictures or video. We'll just like focus on the text and text links and we'll create this environment where people can navigate around within an information system. No, not at all. Uh, sight-impaired blind people want to know exactly what sighted people are seeing. And so this is where, where we started to build these triggers into images, which would actually describe exactly what that image is that you're seeing, which is incredibly ironic nowadays. Fast forward to AI, which we'll, we might touch on later, where using mid-journey, I need to describe exactly what I want to see and exactly reverse engineer yeah, exactly the inverse. Um, so, you know, talk about a journey uh, starting out thinking about, well, here's a picture. How do I put that picture into words for blind people to nowadays taking words that I need to put on the screen to be able to see something? <laughs> anyway, these how, kind of how much like, of, months coming together. Yeah. yeah, I mean, how much of design for you? I, I think one of the things that you said is particularly working with blind people and creating a platform, the internet, and then designing an interface where they can interact and communicate and then also have the same experience as, as sighted people. How much of design is about communication? In, I mean, in graphic design, what isn't about, um, communication, right? Whether it's the form, whether it's the typography, the colors, the layout, the structure, the environment that you're going to actually put that into. Um, I think it's just so fundamental to, and that's part of what we learn as designers and part of that journey of discovering uh, the power of design and then what's working and what's not working and looking at all of those things about the context about the message, about your content, 
and focusing on that end, end user and customer and putting them into the whole design process. I was in a um, meeting the other day and one of the questions that came up, we were talking about design process and the question came up, well, what do you do with a client where uh, someone's got an idea about something and they're very forceful about it, but you know that it's not going to work in that particular design and that particular communication. And uh, I answered by saying, well, what we do with most of our projects is build personae. And we really think about the end user and going back to your question about how to communicate, who is it that we're communicating with? There's nothing worse than you, you're three quarters of the way through a software design application project and the CEO comes in one morning and says, oh, I had this great idea about this new feature that we want to add, right? And if you've done the personae and you've done these user journeys, you can always bring them back and say, well, okay, that's a great idea. We love that feature concept, but does that fit into the communication that we're trying to do, the journey that we're trying to go on, your customer, et cetera. So. It's a, it's uh, a, again, I think, again, coming back to the, the thing that we started with, if design when done well melts away into the background and, and it facilitates and helps, but is not calling too much attention to itself but it helps you achieve or communicate or experience that which is most important to the current experience. Um, where did the fascination with design come from for you? I mean, you've been designing systems in one way or another all your life. How did you land on design? When did you know that it was the path and start keeping uh, going down, going down that journey? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me, I get a lot from my, parents. My dad was a boat builder and I uh, then became a farmer. We moved to New Zealand. We bought a piece of land. I was a young kid, grew up on a farm. We built our own house. My uncle was an architect. My mom had always been fascinated in the fine arts. And I think being surrounded by people who were uh, interested in creating and doing and visualizing having a vision and then being able to execute and implement. Um, I think also it's interesting living and working on a farm you are faced with. You're an entrepreneur for starters. You have to think on your feet. You're uh, often faced with situations where you have to solve the problem. And in one way or another, it's, it's a design problem, whether it's a fence that's broken or it's a, a uh, a water uh, dam that's broken and needs to be fixed. There are all these like design problems on the farm you're having to deal with. And I think I was just naturally interested in all of those things. Um, we started keeping bees and decided to make our own beehives, right? So what's the, what's the end user there and how do bees move around and collect pollen and uh, and breathe and how do you build the structure for a bee colony, for example. Those kind of things as a kid uh, just naturally led to a career in design. Do you think design is underappreciated? I think people are just not as conscious of design as they uh, maybe should be. Um, if someone's looking at 
car buying and they're faced with, oh, I can have a BMW or a Mercedes or I could have the, you know, the Kia or the Toyota. You know, you can see where people gravitate to perhaps um, the, you know, this little thing <laughs> that changed the world. IPhone. yes. It's yes. <laughs> just, um, you know, it is, it is designed from absolutely the ground up. But I think that the, as you say, it almost goes into the background. So I think people aren't consciously thinking of, oh, look how well that was designed or look how intuitive that is. I remember standing on a street corner and a friend of mine had told me about this app that's out there called Uber uh, that you can use to hail a car, right? And I was like, okay, this is really cool. And I downloaded the Uber app and ordered a car and did that entire thing without any instruction manual, without being told what to do. It all just happened seamlessly and fluidly. That did not happen by accident. It was incredibly consciously thought through, but I don't think that the user is thinking that. I think when design's not working is when people start thinking about design, right? The app that doesn't work, the button that doesn't work, the system that's not working for me the way I want it to, and we get a, a sense of frustration and there's a, a friction and a rub. And that's when people, again, I, I think they're not really thinking about, oh, this was designed bad, badly, but they are looking for blame, right? That it's not working the way you want it to. So there's, there's maybe generally a more negative association because you only notice it when it's not working. Right, right. People love to complain, right? But they don't <laughs> necessarily compliment. Yeah. If people want to be more aware of design, is there anything that you've developed or curated to kind of slow down and we can so easily get wrapped up in everything that we're doing? I mean, every single object that we interact with every single day, except maybe nature, but even nature's designed by natural selection and its environment. So almost everything that we interact with is designed in one way or another. Do you try to stay in that and stay in that moment of observation or is it just too overwhelming to always be mindful always kind of be observant of design and and the intention behind things i think we're <clears throat> what i'm i'm always looking for something that is going to push the solution maybe further than the client is asking for we were faced with, we're working a lot of a number of genome sequencing projects with um, Harvard and MIT at the Broad Institute. And we have a group of scientists out in the world collecting the largest um, sampling of mammals, so hair samples from mammals, uh, et cetera, and then sequencing those genomes and getting the full NCBI assembly from that. And they simply wanted a database as terabytes of data. And we've got, uh, I think we're over 200 mammals sequenced now. And I was thinking back about biology class at high school and mammal trees, you know, animal trees and the connections between all these animals. And rather than just simply have a list of all these mammals in a particular order or searchable that I could then click on, what if we actually created a digital mammal tree that was interactive, that scaled, that moved, and that that would be a much more fun way of presenting these mammals and the connection and then the relationship between them and then having other metadata that was attached to that. So I think it, it's 
those kinds of things, thinking beyond what the client initially asks for. We gave them what they asked for in the end. The solution was there, but it wasn't what they were thinking. And that's what our job, I think, as a designer is to do, is to push that envelope. We worked with a New England treatment uh, company and they take solid waste from the wastewater treatment station and essentially take the water out of it and then incinerate it. So it's basically poop, right? And Burning they, poop. Yeah, burning poop. <laughs> out of that comes an ash that's completely inert and it goes into uh, building construction materials, concrete. It's like, it's put all, in all kinds of places you wouldn't even think of like, well, what is that? And uh, like, wow, we want some kind of way to convey, uh, give someone a, could we do with this a memorabilia, something that um, would make people, our clients, like think of us, right? They work with all these municipalities and essentially they're in the trucking business. If you're on the highway and you see these beautiful brand spanking new shiny stainless steel looking trucks, they probably have the nastiest stuff inside of them you could possibly imagine. <laughs> So we took a model of a truck and, and then cast it out of uh, this ash. We mixed it with uh, concrete dust, uh, with cement, and uh, started casting these as paperweights. And so that, that went over extremely well as a gift that they would give out. Um, but again, it's just sort of thinking, of, thinking outside the box, thinking as um, what would create conversation in this particular case, what's something that would remind people of this particular brand. So I mean, d dive into yeah. that, right? That thinking outside the box, whether it's with either of the projects that you described or if you have others that you want to pull on, what is that process of saying, here's, here's an objective, right? The client comes to you and says, I need to have a designed website or I need a, a gift or I, I have some business objective. And then you step in or you and your team and you say, okay, how do we achieve that objective but also achieve this other thing. And this other thing is a superior design or design that's memorable or talk me through that process and that journey mm. that goes on inside of your brain and with your team to achieve at that final result, meet the criteria, but also create something magical, beautiful, mm. you know, effective. It starts with what's the ask. So Disney approached us two weeks into the pandemic, and the, here's the problem, right? We um, Disney premieres a movie, and we've all seen these movie premieres, right? It's a big red carpet event. There's one in Hollywood. There's one in New York City, and it's a big red carpet event. It's VIPs only. And it's a big thing. We've now got a pandemic, and we're not able to go to the movie theaters. So what are we going to do? And it, the, the process then starts of, okay, so we want to create some kind of film screening, but we want to do it in a way that is more than just me sitting down at my computer, logging into some Zoom call and then screening a movie. What's the technology out there that could actually start to give people a more immersive, a more engaging, a more interesting, a more dynamic experience. So this is a, sort of the thought so, process. So you kind of take been. this simple, you take the simple answer, which is website, go to it, press play. That's That achieves their baseline objective. But then you start kind of saying what else is out there, what tools are out there, like that discovery process. How do you even start coming up with the questions to explore? 
Yeah. So, yeah, essentially that's going on. It's pretty, pretty much going on inside my head at that point. It's like, um, and then thinking about what technologies are out there, what other things have we seen that, what, that might help with this. So the result is the world's first virtual movie theater that has live chat inside it and like full engagement. So you arrive on this Disney landing page, there's a countdown clock, it's VIP guests only. They have their, their one-time use password. The clock ticks down and you enter the movie theater, right? And then now you're in this 3D immersive environment. And after the screening, well, there's a countdown to the screening. And then after the screening, we've got uh, the director and some of the cast members there live and we can have a chat with them and we can start like, engaging. Um, with Christian Dior, a film called Nose, which was about their perfume maker. The irony, again, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? And it's an airborne pathogen that goes through our nose. And here we are doing a film about scent and sniff. And people are going to be watching this screening. And, you know, it's almost like watching a cooking film. I want to smell and taste what I'm seeing on the screen. Well, we're working with a perfume maker. Well, they do uh, sniff tests all the time. So we developed an entire scratch and sniff experience for this set of VIPs. So they're watching the film and then we'll put an interstitial up there that says scratch off the saffron scent, right? So the perfume maker is smelling saffron. I'm smelling saffron too, right? So creating this like connection there. Um, I think it, it, it's that. And again, you know, maybe this goes back to thinking on your feet, you know, having to problem solve on a farm because the, the dike's broken, the water's getting out. What are the tools around me that I got to fix it? Um, and, and now it's about, well, how can we have some fun with that and then go past just what the client is actually asking for and give them something back that's, uh, ah, that's, kind of, that's fun. That's cool. Right? So, solve the problem add that extra bit to, to make it not just a problem solved, which is maybe, maybe that's the definition of engineering, which is to identify the problem and then, you know, as efficiently as possible, solve that problem, but to make it an experience or to achieve other objectives that delight the human senses or the human experience, elevate that experience and then still achieve the objective. I think, I think you've encapsulate design pretty well with, yeah. with AI, obviously we're, we're, entering into a new modality and a new mm. paradigm of what is possible for interfaces, but also just human interaction with technology. What's most exciting for you with your design mind? What are you looking forward to? What are you playing with? What are you exploring? At the moment, it's fairly rudimentary. Um, we are using AI pretty much on every step of the design journey, which is really interesting. Um, we have a design process, we have a way of approaching things. And then it's like, well, let's see what, how chat GPT would solve that. Like, how would they define this problem or how would they verbally like resolve that? How would mid journey deal with this particular design problem? And if I was looking to design a set of icons that had a particular, I had a particular idea behind it, what, what would they actually do with that it wouldn't necessarily be and it isn't the solution 
but it's a really interesting way to start triggering other ideas and to make us think about things that we hadn't necessarily thought about, right? So um, there was a thing on NPR this morning, like we generally, we don't know, I have no idea what is actually going on behind the scenes. You know, we haven't lifted up the curtain on AI, so I don't know what's, what it's actually doing, what it's working on. But I'm, I know it's way bigger than my brain and my capacity and my information set. So it's drawing from a massive like data pool and pulling these things together. That's extremely useful and helpful as a research tool and as a, a way to help resolve or solve. Um, we just launched the dog aging project. It's another genome sequencing project that we're working on. And we, for the first time, used AI mid-journey and some other tools to generate images. And you cannot tell the difference between some of the real photographs now and others that we wanted and the client didn't have a budget for. So again, sort of problem solving there. It's like, we don't have the money to go out and photograph these dogs, dog owners, veter veterinarians, but mid-journey can actually help us in that solution, so to speak. As an artist, how do you feel about technology and AI creating images, art, designs? In, in that it's pulling from other people's ideas? You, you've sort of that, that or the fact that at some point it's going to keep elevating and does it make human art obsolete at some point because it can create more beautiful impressionistic paintings or photo with, you know, perfect mood lighting. I'm not a photographer, but you know, it, it's going to continue to elevate in its capability of creating what feels like, or maybe is, we can define it how you want, meaningful art, art that resonates with humans that creates and evokes emotion. Is that something that, well, yeah. What, what are your feelings about, you know, technology finally being this creative force we've always thought of as a tool and now it can actually be, a creator. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mean, some would argue that we, we've kind of had these tools around for quite a lot longer than we now, you know, it sort of exploded on the scene almost exactly just over a year ago um, in its current form, but versions of that have been around for, for a long time, right? And ever since Photoshop's been there, I've had filters, I've had these other tools. You're right, now it's like, it's filling more and more of the creative process. I, I like the question and I, I'm not threatened by it. And I feel like it's quite okay that it's doing all of these things. And as I, I was alluding to before, I'm seeing it more as a tool, even though it's getting very, very sophisticated. Um, I think, you know, a couple of things there, we just had Art Basel Miami last week. And it was amazing the amount of, or well, I should say the lack of technology. It's almost like we're, we're having a, in the art world and the creative world, whether it's conscious or not, feels almost like a backlash against tech and technology. I saw almost no NFTs, very few screens. It was all about painting and the art of painting and the incredible skill that goes into picking up a paintbrush and putting it to canvas. And that's almost like the sort of backlash against uh, tech and technology. I saw one piece by Beeple Crap. I saw a few, a few other pieces, but not nearly as much as I, I thought there would be. Um, yeah. Where, where do you see 
interface design going with AI and kind of some of the new things that are being unlocked with being able to do voice design. We've mm. had Alexa, we've had Siri uh, for, for quite some time, but they're not the same level of interaction from a voice perspective where you can truly carry on a dialogue with technology. So do you see this as being a, uh, an interface that is going to be a common pattern? Do you not know? Do you know? Well, no one knows, mm. but do you have mm. opinions about where we're going with kind of voice design? It's or other coming. things unlocked by AI, right? Yeah, no, I think I think the voice one is a really interesting one, and because technology is is everywhere now, and we're seeing you know, cameras getting smaller, microphones are getting smaller, and the way to interact. Um, loving this new like Ray Ban glass that just came out, and I think that's very very interesting. The fact that inside an existing form factor, they being able to build so much technology, it's version and just one. Describe it for it's, someone who, who who's not necessarily ha haven't seen the smart Ray Bans. Yeah, so I'm probably not the best person to describe it. My understanding is that it's it's essentially looks just like a pair of Ray Bans. Uh, they are um, what's the, what's the term for light light sensitive? They they are progressive, right? They'll they'll go dark in the sunlight, and but you can um, video record on them. And interact with the, the glass. Um, I don't, it's not got heads-up display or anything inside of it yet, right? But I think I think that's where it's it's probably coming and heading to, and this level of awareness. So I'm really excited where that goes because if you if you think of that at one end of the spectrum and the Oculus, you know, the headset at the other end of it, and they're both trying to pack as much technology inside of them as possible. The Ray-Ban doesn't want to get any heavier or clunkier, and the Oculus wants to get smaller and smaller and lighter and lighter in form factor. And so those two things are colliding, so to speak. Um, I, I think it remains to be seen, obviously, how, how much this becomes intrusive and how much it is helpful, right? And, and that ultimately is kind of a, a design problem of making sure that the functionality and the, the problem, whether a life-threatening problem or a problem of, I need to record more videos <laughs> constantly. Yeah, right. uh, that is technically <laughs> a problem that someone's solving. Um, but design is, is kind of the, the interstitial or the, the connecting tissue that says, once we solve the design problem, which has real-world constraints in physics and in miniaturization, as we continue are able to solve that design problem and get closer and closer, then it becomes this effortless piece of technology that gives you the feature, the functionality, the capability that you want. And you're not really worried about battery life or form factor or weight, or it's just kind of intuitive and natural. Right. Yeah. It just slots right in. Um, and it's, it's going to get better and better as any technology is. Right. To wrap up, maybe talk about, You've had quite the breadth of work. You've worked on so many different iconic and world impacting brands and devices and designs. You've worked across many different mediums, whether it's web design, mobile design, interactive, spatial, 3D, right? What do you really want to continue forward with and build and leave as your impact on the world as you continue in 
building designs that influence human behavior. Mm. The projects we're doing at the moment with the Broad are going to influence the way that genomes get sequenced in the future. So we're working on this project, sequencing the genomes of dogs to begin with and mapping dog behaviors, traits and characteristics against the genome so that we can get to a point where we can see um, what we'll do is we'll send out a sequencing kit, we'll get that back, and then we'll ask the dog owner, um, we think your dog has floppy ears, we think it has a long snout, we think the coat color is brown, and that it's got, it's long haired. And then they'll, it's these questionnaires and they'll write back and they'll say, well, you're right about the snout and the ears, but it's actually a black dog with white spots. And they're, okay, so where in the genome is, is that, right? So it's sort of the beginnings of it. And that'll get to, we're working on a working dogs project. There's a dog cancer project. Um, why dogs? Uh, because dog owners will tell you all kinds of things about their pet and their animal. And we don't have these um, security and privacy issues that we do with humans. The great thing is that the dog genome and the human genome are very similar. And we suffer cancer, dementia, um, bone degeneration, all kinds of illnesses in common. So we're learning about humans aging as we learn about our pets aging and we'll help dogs and cats now live longer, healthier lives. So working on these kind of platform projects, I think is, is really interesting. And, and we are moving the needle um, for humanity with them. And this is a huge team effort and by no means is the design part the important piece here. The scientists in the lab are doing a little hard work um, and so are the dog owners out there in the world. And it's, it's us bringing these two groups together. Um, I think that's, that's one thing. I'm really interested in where the physical and digital space come together and collide. Uh, so I own an art gallery in Soho in New York City, and we're putting on more and more shows where I'm looking for artists and designers who are uh, interested in pushing this boundary of where those two things come together. For example, we just had a painting show of women artists and uh, I was painting about motherhood. So very sort of like ordinary, like uh, classic art show, but we built a digital twin of the gallery space, which then extended that show, not only in time, the digital version is still up now, long after the show actually came down it extended geography, but then we started to think about well, what could we do in the digital space where you click on a painting, we could have metadata, we could have all kinds of other things that you wouldn't experience in the physical environment. So while it's not physical and you don't get to go to a gallery and meet people, what can we do in, in the digital space that, in, that exploits and uses the digital? The show before that one was NFTs with audio files where each painting, and this was uh, Nisi Ugulu, this is uh, Burna Boy's sister, and she'd done these paintings of musical instruments and then played those musical instruments, recorded the audio files, and you could listen to them by scanning QR codes. Simple but interesting ways of interacting. Uh, the show before that, we live streamed the whole show on Twitch. Uh, so we had a DJ in there, so we were like streaming music, and then we would do gallery tours. And again, it's like this sort of extending the physical into the digital space and starting to pull those things together. So, yeah, those are the kind of things being involved with, like Future of Transportation with Hyperloop, 
genome sequencing we're doing with Harvard, MIT, and Broad, and then this like pushing this mix mishmash or you know merging of digital and physical. That's interesting. It's it's absolutely fascinating. The the unification of all that humans interact with and then trying to bring it about in an experience that's not disorienting and overwhelming, but also there's something emergent about when you bring these things together, how can you shift your perspective of how you interact or how you use or how you see the art when, when it's streamed on Twitch or when there's kind of this, this multi-sensory of NFT, but then there's audio aspect, but then there's a real world gallery, kind of that, that blending. If people and, want to, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I think it's nascent now. And, and I think as you were alluding to before, some of these things have just become so natural, you know, five, 10 years from now, people, it will just be normal that you will do these digital physical things and have those experiences, but now it's kind of the just, fun time. Yeah. Yeah. Just like hyperlinks were uh, a brand new concept when you were first working on them. And now yeah. the, the concept of a link is, is people don't even think about it being a link. It's just a thing. It's a, it's a common feature in the technical landscape. Right. Ronnie, if people want to learn more about you, your story, what you're working on, where should they find you online? Thanks. Um, at 360design.com, that's 360design.com goes to that um, company, the brand website. There are case studies and things up there. The gallery is utah.gallery. That's J-U-T-T-A dot gallery. And that's got both the digital the link out to the digital twin there, as well as some of the recent shows that we've done. So thanks for the opportunity. Of course. Thanks for coming on the show. It's a real pleasure. Really interesting. And, and thank you very much, Elijah. Really, really appreciate that. Likewise. 